Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, it's Friday, so you know what that means. The Atlanta sports guys have reconvened after a week away, where I. I don't know how to describe this. I went to the beach and I got burned on day one. The the fellow redhead on uh, this very program, Garrett Chapman, can relate to this lobster-like experience. Garrett, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. Now, no, I, that, those sunburns. I've I've been sunburned on road trips before, so I, I know exactly what you're feeling. It's not great. Like I'm peeling on my left arm. Like I was SPF 50 up, man. And I still burned. I was so upset. Like, I reapplied in the afternoon. So I was that guy at the beach with uh, the long-sleeve Tennessee shirt. Uh, so that was that was my experience <laughs> after where I... I've just, been that guy. Yeah, it's not great. Well, we know you've been that guy, Garrett, because you're <laughs> a a fair-skinned... What would be the word? A ginger, red-headed person. <laughs> no chance. I still have no idea what you guys are talking about. I've never been called a ginger in my life. <laughs> hey, so, it's early, but uh, no you, can idea. See the, you can see the picture that we're both looking at on the Skype call, right? It's It speaks for itself. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's right I there. That yeah, I got guy. a red shirt. <laughs> that's something red about that photo. <laughs> no, that's the most red-headed photo I've ever seen in my life. Um, Max Markovich is also here. Max, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm I'm pumped for game three. I'm I'm ready to go. Are both of y'all going? What's the plan for tonight? Oh, I'll I'm be not there. going. <laughs> I wish I'm I was there. going. <laughs> no, go buy some standing room only tickets. I mean, they're only like a like ninety five dollars or something like that. I mean, it's it's honestly considering the fact that uh, you can get into the stadium and watch some playoff basketball. I, that's it's it's so worth it. So, so worth they're it. doing a hundred percent capacity <sighs> right. tonight. Are they? No, I'm asking. Is that what it is? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. No, but they do allow standing room only tickets just because they want to get people in there. Uh, but no, they, they. I think it's it's still going to be like 75% or something okay. like that. Uh, they want to they leave it open by the, by the actual players. Um, but the other side is definitely <laughs> packed. Interesting. Yeah, because you see it outside with uh, the Bucks last night and the fans who are watching outside and kind of bringing it back to what we used to experience and like that whole Toronto situation when uh Kawhi and that group put on a, the their title run but uh yeah i mean tennessee like they're losing their minds to fans like they're going like 400 plus for one ticket like they're doing like a outdoor viewing experience for the super regionals this weekend and it's like wow we really went from no fans to fans are willing to pay 400 dollars to squeeze into this tight situation around a bunch of strangers it, it's pretty wild that this just happened like that but uh <laughs> here we are um, before we get into the Hawks, because I think I want to save that for the end here. Um, we did not talk after the Julio Jones trade because I was away on vacation and Julio, um, I got asked this week being in Tennessee. So there's a lot of Titans fans and they are hyped about these videos. If I see one more Julio Jones cut on ESPN where they're like, Oh, he's back. And the Julio quotes of just like, uh, just watch, uh, about people who are concerned about my health and, just over uh, just i don't even know how to describe this it's just like this weird obsession with workout tape and it's like this is great yeah we knew julio was a workout monster and he remember when he was doing the workouts in la was that last year two years ago with to and like that he's we know that to or that julio jones is in shape we all know that we we love julio jones but uh it's about whether or not he gets enough snaps and we know the numbers on how many snaps he's been getting the last couple years but with all that being said how do you guys feel about the Julio Jones trade now that we've had some time to 
think about it, the the return, um, where we're at with this roster, how it makes into the Titans. Garrett, let's start with you. I mean, I'm disappointed that he's gone, obviously. I mean, he's he's. I, I thought he was going to be a Falcon for life, maybe just a couple months ago. Um, I mean, so it, it, that, that, that pill is no less difficult to swallow today than it was a week ago. But at the end of the day, uh, yeah, I mean, we got a decent return for him. I was convinced that we were going to get a first-round pick. Uh, but obviously that's not going to happen. But look, at the end of the day, they picked up that, that full salary, and that's really what's important because now the now the Atlanta Falcons can turn our focus to the future. We can go get uh, some legitimate free agents, sign our rookie class finally. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing these uh, workout videos just like you are. I mean, look, we know who Julio Jones is. He's, he's a perennial all-pro. He's a, a stud of a wide receiver, and he's a workout monster. The guy has quick feet. I, I think I just saw that. Uh, someone was doing some random drill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, None of this on. is I, new. Like, what is none this? None of this is new. I, 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 yeah, the guy's a stud. Of course he is. He, br- he ran a 4-3-40 on a broken foot. Yes, he's a stud. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm not going to learn anything new from watching Julio Jones do do random speed and agility drills. I mean, we know who he is. He's a, he's a guy who's going to go off for 1,400 yards because he did it seven consecutive times yeah and the falcons so, are not yeah, we know who because he of his physical limitations no it was a, no, entirely and, a cap thing where we couldn't sign our rookie class because of the sins of the previous administration yeah and, and look i mean i i'm ryan Tannehill's not a better quarterback than matt ryan is i don't know i don't think any human being on this planet thinks that they just lost arthur smith to the team he left um so i yeah i get it you have derrick henry yeah you have aj brown on the other side it's going to be a matchup nightmare. I mean, I don't someone know. compared them. I think it's going to go for 1400 yards and compared them to the Cowboys of the AFC. And I think that's a really apt comparison. I, I 100% agree. Cause that defense is going to be atrocious. They haven't addressed it at all. Um, and the offense just has a lot of names and a lot of like the Izzy Kelly and Mari Cooper, uh, Michael Gallup type names. And uh, then you have a, a quarterback who's probably in the top 15 ish range like with Dak and uh, Tannehill, but you would never put them in the elite, elite category. And uh, I don't know. I think that's a an app comparison. Uh, Max, what do you think about all this? Yeah, um, I, th- I think there's the, like the emotional reaction, and then there's sort of the, the logical reaction, and the emotional reaction comes first, right? It's like we grew up watching this guy play. Uh, you know, he's arguably um, the best player in franchise history, and it ends like this. Like, you know, it ends with a second-round pick. And, like, I, I you know, I, I in, in the logical side of me, it's like a second-round pick plus a fourth-round pick for a 30, what, 32-year-old receiver is pretty good value in this market, um, period, and especially on that deal and especially not, you know, absorbing all that money. Um, and so the emotional part of me is like, damn, like, I, I you know, I will miss watching Julio Jones in a Falcons jersey. It will pain me to watch him in a Titans jersey. Um, and that's just never going to change. And it also pains me just that he just sort of it's like one of those mutual breakups where like one side is is, you know, super in their feelings about it. And one side just doesn't care at all. But it's like, quote unquote, mutual. Um, that's how this felt. <laughs> it felt like Julio just doesn't care at all. Um, but that we we all really cared. So, you know, the emotional side of it is tough. But the logical side of it is like uh, this was, you know, good value, a good destination for him, best for all sides to move on. 
let's move forward. I, I, I will say I kind of get annoyed at like sort of the, you know, national sports media verse that um, views things through this dichotomy of like either tear it down or you're trying to win a Super Bowl. And like there's mm. no in between. Like like there was so much this week about like what what are the Falcons doing? They draft they didn't draft a quarterback and, you know, they kept Matt Ryan and they're on the hook with all this money. But they're still they're trading Julio Jones. I thought they were going for it. And it's like that's such a simplistic narrative that doesn't capture sort of the complicated um factors at play here one of which is that julio julio jones demanded a trade yeah that's uh, for all yeah from all we know like like he he asked to be traded um it's not like you know i don't know it wasn't like terry fondo got this job and the first thing he said is damn i really want to trade julio jones <laughs> um let's just put it that way yeah i um i don't i don't envy the situation fondo is in and i think what concerns me i guess from this trade is I think Fontenot, if I had to guess, would have kept him if the cap situation was not what it was. I don't think anyone in the Falcons organization. I think it was also not bad enough where they couldn't repair uh, the situation with Leo. I mean, Russell Wilson is back with the Seahawks and giving weird answers. Like, Russell Wilson's press conferences. I don't know if you guys have been listening to these, but when he talks about the trade stuff and the the word uh, the word salad that he uses to describe his uh, discontent with the Seattle Seahawks is, is something to behold. Um, I, I couldn't imagine having a long conversation with Russell Wilson. Um, I think it would just drive me up the wall. But weird dude. He's weird a, dude. an extremely weird dude. Um, I don't know. I just think that Julio would have come back if the Falcons were like, look, man, just let us see how it all works out. We got Kyle Pitts. We got Matt Bryan. We got an offensive line that's got some stability behind it again. Uh, let's just run it back and see what happens. And then if it doesn't work and we flame out in spectacular fashion, then, hey, uh, that's just uh, – we'll, we'll re- reconvene. Because I don't think he was the type of guy to be like, oh, I hate – like, I'm just out. I'm not playing. I don't think that was in Julio Jones. So him demanding a trade I don't think would have been that bad. But it was also just like – someone had to fall for just the financial issues. And that's what bums me out more. It's not the draft capital that the Falcons got. I think a second and a fourth is still solid for a 32-year-old receiver. It's just that, like, he would still be here if it wasn't because of financial reasons. And, like, to lose the franchise's best player when he's still playing at a pretty elite level just because you can't afford to put together an entire roster with him still in the books is just, like one of the more depressing realities of like, this is a business and that's what we're going to have to remember forever is like Julio just got traded because essentially we couldn't afford him anymore. Like that, that is just a bummer. Right, Garrett. But, but wait, but I want to, I want to jump in there for two reasons. One, um, the reason that we can't afford him right now, you know, besides all of the many issues that, that Thomas Dimitrov and, and um, that entire front office created, through the salary cap is that Julio Jones demanded a, a restructured deal with three years left on his contract, which is like borderline. We, no one talks about this, but it's borderline unheard of in the league to do that. And, and it put the Falcons in a really difficult situation um, to say either we're going to have a very public standoff with our best player ever, or we're going to extend him without basically any precedent to do that here. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, uh, I agree with you. Like it sucks that he's not gonna he's not gonna be on the team. But I also do think like if Bill Belichick was the one making this trade, and he was the one trading away Julio Jones, he would be lauded as sort of like 
oh, like this is this is the smart moves Bill Belichick makes when his players are sort of, you know, at the end of their careers and he he gets value for them and he, you know, it's it's you know it's a cold blooded business, but this is such a smart move. Um, and I and I don't think Terry Fontenot, you know, for good reason, gets the same benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, honestly, that that's the biggest thing that that you just hit on is the fact that this guy demanded a trade. With three years left on his deal, they didn't get it, and then threw it basically threw a hissy fit about it and didn't come to camp. And that was a very frustrating summer to be covering the Atlanta Falcons because th- that's all anybody was going to talk about. And he just became a major, major distraction. Uh, and and that was and that's something that a lot of people really don't talk about anymore. And then when he comes out and says basically, are these like, you see a lot of these reports where he was like, oh yeah, this is just a lose lose situation. Like I lost this deal. What are you talking about, Julio Jones? So you just got a – you have a massive, massive contract boost uh, with two years left on your deal uh, because he got it that next offseason. He was like, well, I should have gotten it a year ago, blah, blah, blah. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I mean, come on. He became the highest paid receiver in football uh, with two year, with multiple years left on his deal. And, and then he says apparently that's when that relationship soured. Well, uh, I don't know what you're talking about because those guys aren't even in place anymore. So <laughs> – Whatever. <laughs> I mean, the guys, the guys pissed me off a little bit. I mean, just oh, it's no. the only thing. No, it's the only thing that people have talked about for the better part of uh, of like what three months now. And now that he's gone, now he's like, oh yeah, now I'm on a team that's going to win. Blah 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 blah. And it's just, oh my god, I'm just, I'm just so over it. <laughs> when's the last time? When's the last time Julio Jones showed up in OTA in a Falcons uniform? Like his his rookie year. <laughs> Even then, I don't even know if – I think he was injured. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, the guy uh, – uh, yeah. You can hear the frustration in my this voice. This is venting. We're, we're venting. We're letting it all out. I, I I suspect that if he didn't get traded, none of this would be coming out. We were like, oh, it's Julio. He, it's just Julio oh, being Julio. Of course Julio. not. Of course yeah. not. Yeah, of but now it's God, yeah. Um, transitioning to the Braves. Um, they, for whatever reason, have no interest in being a 500 baseball team. It's not not something the Atlanta Braves are are after this year. Um, what uh, what do you make of the last two weeks? Because we haven't recorded um, in Braves baseball. What have we what have we learned about the state of this team, Max? I don't know. I, you know, here we are still. I don't feel like we've learned a whole lot yet. Like it, it feels like they're like you know trying to make their move. Um, and you know, last night or two nights ago or whatever was was a perfect example where like it looks all night like they're gonna you know go past 500 and really you know put put a charge into the Mets and like you know try to try to get up there but uh you know w- one walk off later with two outs in the ninth and it's back to under 500 and everything's terrible and the bullpen sucks and all that um I I just keep coming back to this idea that it just like it, it it feels like one of those years. It just feels like one of those years where everything's off and it's not going to, you know, it's not really going to click to the extent that it needs to click. And especially with the Mets starting to create some distance now. Um, it's not that it's now or never, but it's starting to feel like it needs to be now sooner than later. Um, and we keep talking about they're going to get hot, they're going to get hot. But the injuries add up and suspensions and you know all, all that stuff is adding up to to a formula that like doesn't sit well with me um and and it's like they're four games out so it's not like you know we can't definitively say anything it just has felt like one of those years all year where nothing's really gone right 
Yeah, I mean, we've been pounding our head against the wall now for, what, three months <laughs> with, the Atlanta, with the Atlanta Braves. I mean, these guys win a couple games, convince you that they're going to be good, get up to 500, lose three. And then they're like, oh, yeah, then they win one, and then they lose four more. And then, then they go on a six-game winning streak, and then they flip around, and they're like, yeah, this is it. And then, no, and then you just, you just fall right back. And it, it's just been it's just been that all freaking season. And, Max, like you said, I mean, like, look, everything seems to be going wrong. It just, it's just one thing after another. And it's like, okay, finally, now we have the, the batting line, the, the, hip, the, the, the lineup's hitting. Uh, okay, now uh, Soroka's after the season. Um, okay, well now no one's no one can hit, but then we have we have uh, Ian Anderson throw six fantastic innings, and then all of a sudden he comes in and, and the and the we bring in the bullpen, and then they can't throw a strike, and it's just it's just been a very frustrating thing to watch because look, this team is so much better than this, and I'm fully convinced of that, and I I'm still waiting for this team to turn it on because I still think they will, but God, when is it going to happen? I really, I really just have no idea because they've been talking about, oh, we just need a spark. Yeah, well, you've needed, you've had plenty of sparks. I mean, your Ronald Acuna hit a, an absolute blast against the Phillies two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, uh, and that felt like the spark. And then we had the the major comeback, that felt like the spark. Then you take two out of three against the Dodgers, that felt like the spark. Well, what other spark do you need? Just win baseball games. Don't let the the the, the final. I don't know, three outs fall away from you like you have the last two games. Just close it out and finish baseball games. It's been just extremely frustrating because I think they've lost, what, six games in the last two years. I think I saw the stat. They were like 108 and six or something in the last eight outs or something along those lines. And uh, when they had the lead this year, they've lost seven of those games just this year. So they just got to close baseball games, and they haven't been able to do that. And hopefully they can figure it out enough to get to the trade deadline and get to acquire some assets. But, dude, like you said too, Max, like the Mets are starting to increase this distance. And, and look, they need to start winning sooner rather than later. Quote, Liberty Media has effectively shot this team in the foot with its unwillingness to invest in the bullpen. Such a damn shame. Which co-host tweeted this out? <laughs> That was that sounds like a very frustrating Garrett Chapman tweet. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is going to be interesting to monitor, but it's also just like the back half of this lineup is terrible. And also, like, when are we going to talk about Freddie? Like, Freddie's been okay, but like, we are now middle of June. He has fourteen dingers, I think, as of this recording. But like, is he still batting two twenty eight? Am I am I misremembering that, or is it somewhere around that? 261. 261? Okay. Um, he's fine, but he's not playing at an MVP level anymore. And I think when you look at the top of this lineup, Austin Riley has been just like a saving grace. I think he's still batting 300. Albie's back in the three spot, but then you look and Dansby, oof, Dansby's still at the five spot. And then you go down, you're like, oh, this is a problem. Like, this is this is a problem. Ender and Ciarte getting looks like Almonte, like guys all over the place. Drew Waters is hitting well. Uh, Garrett's guy down there in AAA with the Stripers. But um, I don't know. The back half of this lineup is terrible. It, it's bad when I'm watching the Pirates and Dodgers this morning and going through their stuff and then seeing that, like, oh, the Pirates have a better lineup than the Atlanta Braves right now. Uh, Brian Hayes, uh, 
Frasier, you go up and down the list, and it's like, oh, they have a lot. They they have more more top end talent there outside of the Acuna Freeman stuff. But um, yeah, I just I'm concerned. I think there's just too many holes. I think the injury bug has hit them really hard. I think that there's just too many things that Alex Anthopoulos will have to do to get this team back into contention. Um, but this year, I do think it's a lot more open than I think all of us thought because I mean the Giants are killing it and they're still in first Dodgers. I mean, did you all see that Mookie, uh, double play like yesterday? No, I must. I did not. Okay. Y'all have to watch this, uh, after we get off this call because Mookie caught, like he came in, he was going low in right field, caught it and did this spin and just gunned, uh, this pirate, I think it was Gonzalez out at home. Like his defensive chops are unreal. Like, it just Mookie Betts is just a, an absolute delight to watch. But I just no, I don't know. I remember. Yeah, he's he's a delight. Um, <laughs> I remember. We, we can move past from that. We we can move past. We can appreciate it now. But I think one positive though with our young guys, right? Is uh, I think two positives. I trust Tucker Davidson. Like that guy is Mister Consistent. I trust Ian Anderson. I trust a lot more of our arms than I did a few months ago. And I also. Garrett, I think you're pretty high on uh, William Contreras, right? Like, I think yeah, that seems yeah. like something where we hit. Like, that might be a hit there, right? Well, I pegged him. I, I think it was like a month ago, whenever Travis Darno got hurt, I, I pegged him as the catcher of the future just because this guy can rake. My biggest concern is still a pretty big concern is that he's a bit of a liability behind the plate, like just as a catcher. And fortunately for Atlanta, he's been enough to – his bat has been enough to sort of mitigate that a little bit. And, I mean, he, the guy's raking. The guy the guy can really hit. He, he's good in the clutch. Uh, if runners on scoring position, he's able to put people, uh, get people around the bases and, and score them. I mean, look, I mean, the guy's solid, but he's got to figure some things out behind the plate because if he doesn't, if, but if he can do that, then, I mean, look, this is, we're talking about like a potential, like all-star for the Atlanta Braves because this guy can absolutely hit the cover off the ball. I'm all in on Tucker Davidson. Are y'all? I like on? Tucker Davidson too. He yeah. is the most consistent number four. Like I would trust that guy as a number four for the next ten years. That guy's got number four consistency written all over him. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like him. Uh, maybe not the next decade, decade or something, but yeah, I know what you. I know what you're trying to say, but yeah, he's gonna have like a four point <laughs> like three, three or four years, three point yeah, eight. At ERA. least the next the next month. Yeah, no, yeah. he'll have a three point. He just already feels like a thirty two year old pitcher to me. Like he already just feels like a thirty. Like there's no upside of like ace stuff with him, but he's just like I need six innings from somebody I can count on. Okay, there's six. He might give up a run or two, but like he's gonna keep me up. Like I, he's the antithesis of Sean Newcomb, the Sean Newcomb experience, and like honestly, like Julio Tehran and guys like that from the previous experience. Um, let's get into the Hawks, guys. Game three tonight, Garrett will be in the standing room only section. Um, game two was defined by Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel going on Trey, and Trey just not having the room to operate that he previously did, because in game one, it was almost all Danny Green, and he ate Danny Green alive. Um, Joel Embiid was just insane, just the what he is able to do with the ball, without the ball, defensively, just driving and just dunking on Capella, but also just drawing a bunch of fouls. And he's just incredible. And he's a very difficult player to stop. But also, we saw Kevin Herter just shoot lights out. We shot Bogey just do everything he possibly could with a quiet tray night. And then, you know, John Collins just 
being John Collins. And I, I'm concerned. I'm, cu- I'm so curious to see what Nate runs out in the starting lineup. Cause I don't think you can do Solomon Hill anymore. I think that ship has sailed. Uh, do you it's got the Tony guy Snell. who has it's, Mr. Free? It's throw. going to be Kevin Herter. Can no, Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter. No, it's no, going to be no. Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter needs to come off the bench. I, 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 I he absolutely has to come off the bench. We need to keep that scoring. He's been fantastic coming off the bench. Why change that? All right, Max. I mean, here you go. You're up. Snell. Here you go, Max. The, make the case for Kevin Herter in the starting lineup. I think, starting. Tonight. I think we have. I think we have this. I we're, we're talking about this with the idea that it's sort of like a regular season thing where the bench lineups will be almost exclusively bench lineups, and I don't think that's the way to think about it. I think the way to think about this Hawks team is tray lineups and non-tray lineups. And so, if you if you start Kevin Herter, that does not preclude you from staggering uh, him, Bogey. Collins, Gallinari, whoever, to the extent that you can have three of those guys, two or three of those guys out there when Trey's not in there, right? So you can you can start Kevin Herter, you can get him going in rhythm, you can play him 35 minutes tonight while still having a, a lineup that starts the second quarter with Bogey, Herter, Gallinari, uh, Capella, and like Lou Will, right? And like that is a very formidable offensive lineup that can keep you afloat while Trey's out. So, like, I would agree with you if starting Herder meant that that the bench lineup, you know, is like piecemeal, like Lou Will, Akongwu, Tony Snell, and then, you know, throw in, you know, one of the other guys. But it doesn't have to be like that. And, and especially in this game, which is the most important game the Hawks have played, I don't even know how long. Like, like maybe our lifetimes. Like, no, Since 2016, I, I guess, but like it feels bigger than 2016. Um, I think, especially in that, you have to play your best players as many minutes as humanly possible. And like starting Solomon Hill again, and just starting four on five offensively, is just not how. Like I, I just don't, I don't want to see that. Like I want as many, especially, especially if they're going to throw Simmons on Trey again. And Simmons and Thibel and just and just yeah, hound I think Trey. that's gonna stay. I don't think that's going anywhere. It, it's absolutely oh, yeah. gonna stay. And you need you need as many playmakers around Trey to create secondary offense as humanly possible. And Herder is like our third best creator right now. Yeah, and yeah, I I agree. But it seems like well, there's some players that if they are able to to watch the game and and feel the flow and then get inserted into the, into the lineup, sometimes that helps the rhythm just a little bit more. And that seems to be Kevin Herter's thing, where he comes off the bench and he just is, is just that much more effective. Because I mean, Lou Will, I mean, Jamal Crawford, guys like that, like these six men who come in and and they, they're good enough to start on most teams, but they still come off the bench because that's just the type of player that they are. Um, and that's not to say that they're not starter quality, because Kevin Herter's absolutely starter quality. He is he gives you way more quality minutes than anybody else in that role. Uh, but I don't know. It just seems to be working for him and just him as a player. And I don't think that putting him into the starting lineup is, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, there's a very good chance that he starts tonight. Uh, I just think he's more effective coming off the bench. And I think that it's just the type of rhythm that he has as a player. Um, and it's worked. It's really, really worked so far to the, at this point in the playoffs. And really we just need to see Tony Snell, and uh, Solomon Hill just play better basketball because he's not going to be playing endless minutes, and we need them to to really step up. I mean, what is it? What what is it? Uh, zero points for Solomon Hill in eight minutes? 
that's just unacceptable. I mean, he's got to be better. He's just got to be better. Um, but but, um, but but Solomon, I mean Solomon man. Hill is is, is going to be who Solomon Hill is. Like he's he's not going to like. Oh, he's a tough know. guy. He's he's the guy who's going to shoulder Nerlens Noel <laughs> after he shoulders right. Trey. Like that's right. that's just who he is. You know, um, he might make he might he might make a couple more shots than he has been, but like he's not going to become a player that you can rely on to play twenty minutes or twenty. Oh no 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 no! no but that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. He just he's got to come in and, and just hit some open shots. I mean, he was over two. Um, look, even if he just hits a shot or two and just comes in and plays tough defense and, and can do something while Kevin Hunter's on the bench. Um, because, look, I mean, it sucks that we're losing DeAndre Hunter. I, that just – I know we, we're probably going to get to that in a second, but shoof, that hurts. That hurts a lot. I feel like we already lost him. Like, he still wasn't the same DeAndre Hunter that we saw at the beginning of the season. Like, he was just – he was hitting the important shots in the corner, the top of the key. He was obviously very important during stretches in the Knicks series. But, like, uh, it it would just be nice to have him in the – for the, those 12 minutes. But I, I don't know. I think I'm leaning more with Max of just, like, game three is do or die. And you kind of have to go down with – 40 minutes of Trey, Bogey, Herder, Collins, and Capella. I don't think there's any way around it. Yeah, you got. I mean, you got to play your best players. And look, I mean, the Atlanta Hawks are what 12 straight games they've won at home, mm-hmm. and 22 of their last 25 or something like that. Something crazy. We're a very good home basketball team, uh, and I fully expect State Farm Arena to be up and rowdy, very loud tonight. And I will definitely be contributing to that. <laughs> if I if I if I show up next like on, on Saturday and I, I don't have my voice, or if I have my voice, then I think I've, I failed the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> I feel vindicated so, because I was listening to I think it was Zach Lowe when he was talking to Arnovitz this week in the Low Post, where he didn't go to the extent that I did on this podcast on Wednesday talking about the Hawks Sixers with Kyle Newbeck at the Philly Voice. Um, but I just think. Trey with Thibel and Simmons just they are going to be at his hip for the remainder of this postseason like it's just going to be the situation for him he is not getting Danny Green in him he's not getting Shake Milton like this is his new reality so what he has to do and he did not do this in game two at all where he has to go back to the supervillain stuff he has to flail in game three he has to fall he has to do everything he can. If he gets a little bit of daylight, do the Joel and B trip over yourself stuff. Like that is something that they're going to have to do quickly is get Simmons off the floor. The way that you attack if you're Trey Young is that defenders are so scared of drawing fouls from Trey. Like that you have to use that space. You have to use that against the Sixers and their size because they're just so much bigger than the Hawks that you have to use that against them. And the way to use that against them is Trey has to flop. And he has to flop hard in game three to get them off him. And I, uh, I'm curious to see if he uses that and goes back a little bit more to regular season trade because I think that is going to be important to get guys off him to get him the kind of space that he had in game one. Well, you got to give him a little bit more credit than that. I mean, he's still. I mean, the guys, the guys still played like an absolute supervillain. <laughs> well, no, what <laughs> I'm saying is like I, I, the guy can. He just needs to hit shots. Yeah. I mean, look. I mean, he. He, he was get getting to, to his spots. He needs to get to the line. He has no, to be the Embiid I, situation of how many times. No, he Embiid was still got... getting spots when he was playing. Ben Simmons was guarding him. It's not like he locked him yeah. up in a cell and he was, oh, God, he only scored like eight points. or I, No, I mean, he just missed a couple shots. I mean, it, he'll be fine. I think, 
I, I think that narrative, um, while extremely predictable to come out of this game, uh, was a little bit overblown. Like, like, sure, certainly Simmons on Trey is the way to go for Philly. Like, I'm not arguing that. But anytime Trey wanted to get around Simmons into the lane, particularly if you if you didn't run a screen for him because then you couldn't trap it. Um, anytime Trey wanted to get around Simmons and get in the lane or Thibel, really, he could. And so what I thought happened is is Trey kind of panicked a little bit early. And and resorted to some old Trey stuff, um, channeling Chase here with the complaints about the deep threes and stuff. But um, but then he sort of realized, like, hey, I can still play my game. Like, I can still get in the lane. I can still throw alley-oops. I can still, you know, distribute that way. And, like, I'm not saying Simmons on Trey is a good thing for us, but I also think the impact of that was a little bit overblown, whereas it was sort of Trey creating issues himself. Like in game two, he, he still had 21 and 11. He still shot nine free throws. Um, and he just missed six of his seven threes because a lot of them were really bad shots. Let's be real. Um, but I don't think like that's, I don't think it's that big of a problem for us. Like I, offensively, I am not worried. Defensively, guarding Embiid, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> I have zero idea. Are we sure do. he actually has a torn meniscus? Yeah, he does. Somebody are we sure? About, well, somebody <laughs> talked about like the kind he has that, like, I think it was Tony Allen who had talked about this on Verno's show, where he was like, "I had the same thing, and I was able to play through it normally." Like, it's one of those. It's a different kind of thing. Like the kind of knee injury that it, Embiid has is not something that uh, other NBA players have. It's harmed them. Yeah, but I mean, one other narrative that really hasn't been discussed by anybody. Do we fully expect the Philadelphia 76ers to shoot 46% from three again? If they because get I kind of look, Seth don't. Curry was wide open on the majority of his looks. Um, I think to buy I'm curious about to buy it. Shake Milton killed us. Yeah, that's not happening again. I, I mean, look, because these guys were, they had some other heroes. I mean, Joel Embiid obviously went for 45 points man yeah he's probably going I, for 40 again tonight like you have to it's like the mitchell thing where it's like oh mitchell won't do that again this superstar won't do it and it's like all right so here's good. 38 again like what are we talking <laughs> about is just so good he's at basketball. so darn good <laughs> and and look i mean the atlanta hawks just need to turn around and hit some shots man and i think i think that's going to change tonight the hawks are going to have a little bit more success i mean being with a home environment um they just all seem to play better when they're here can home. we can we talk for two minutes about john collins can we talk about this? I was having a good morning, but I guess if you insist. <laughs> Are the ghost of John Collins? Man, man. 35 man. minutes. He's been brutal. I, I don't think he's played one good game all playoffs. Nah, no, he's had a couple good games. He, he's, he's, he played a couple good games against the Knicks. And, um, well, game one, I think I thought he had a pretty decent game on game one, didn't he? No. It was fine. He was fine. But he, he, hit, he, some, no, but he hit some shots. I feel like even I feel like even when he hits shots, he doesn't really imprint himself on the game though. Like like if imagine this team without Capella and like the main offense is running screen. No, game with game one he goes he is three or four from three, twenty one points. It's a fine game. That's that's good. That's I mean it's good. Did it feel like that at the time though? No, I mean it obviously didn't feel like that. (laughs) Seven and nine from from the field, three or four from three. That's fine. That's what I'll take. Is it a max guy? No, he's not going to be a max guy. I think he's played himself out of that contract. Um, someone might pay him that, but I hope the Atlanta Hawks aren't that team. I hope. Like, so. I mean, I, I, I want no him idea, to be a hawk. I, I want think... him to be a hawk, but he's not going to get a max contract. 
but you also just can't lose him for nothing and he has to be a trade chip so like i think he does resign and it's just something where they they flip him but um yeah i don't know i you know who i've been very impressed by is in Kongwa. like he's been great in his minutes i've enjoyed him being in the game i think he is someone that has earned a spot and as a rookie in this kind of situation in both the Knicks series and the Sixers series. I think uh, Nkongwu has been very good. I think Lou Williams should not be in the rotation tonight. I would throw a good one out tonight. I would give a couple <laughs> minutes to Goodwin before I would throw out Lou. I love that. I love that. I'm so with that. I hate Lou's minutes. Every time he comes in, I, I just, you know, that I almost, can't believe I mean, it. that literally cost us at the end of game two. Like, that last minute he was in the third quarter in those first couple minutes in the fourth. Like, that's another thing that Nate has to get under control is he has to be careful with how like just there's so many blowouts in the playoffs and a lot of it's just like pressing the wrong button with rotations it's like it gets out of hand really quickly and it's like oh because of these guys being on the floor at the same time um and it goes back to your solomon hill point of like you just can't have five minutes of four on five basketball in a playoff game you just you just can't so i would throw out the good ones possibility i think he's a much better shooter i think uh i, I like the idea of throwing him out there uh, see what he got it, it, for a minute or two and see see how that goes but you can't like i think you have to stagger bogey and trey if you're going to pull trey for a breather you have to keep bogey one of those guys has to be on the floor at all times right you can't has do that be. anymore you, you can't just pull one of the, both of them off the floor you, you just can't um how do we as we wrap up here today guys how do we see tonight going how do we how do we see game three and game four going because we'll be back by game five Hawks win tonight i think they split this one they're they're gonna win tonight or they're gonna win on on sunday or monday rather okay monday i think it's sunday isn't it no maybe it's monday i could be i think it's monday it's monday it is yeah it's monday it was last sunday this monday okay Uh, yeah so i think we split i think we split we're gonna go back up to to philly 2-2 okay that's my expectation just because, I mean, look, the Atlanta Hawks play when you when you're that good. When you win twelve games, thirteen games in a row at home, that's not a fluke. Uh, so I think they're going to win at least one. Max, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think Trey has one of those games tonight where um, he shuts everyone up about the the Simmons title stuff. Um, and I think you know he he does his thing, thirty two and eleven or whatever. Hawks win by about you know five to ten, and then. Uh, Man, it really feels like they could win both these games. Um, I'll call it a split, but I would not. I wouldn't at all be surprised to go back to Philly up three one. Mm. How about that? Wouldn't that be something? Win game five and then win game six. I think Embiid is oh. going to get incredible. I still think Hawks in six. That's what I was thinking before. I am still concerned about the Ben Simmons sitting at the dunker spot doing nothing. I'm still concerned about how much they rely on Seth Curry to hit his shots. I'm still concerned about Tobias Harris having to do 16 in the first quarter, nothing in the second. Just Jim B- <laughs> Joel Embiid's workload is insane. It's huge. I just I think this is going to continue to wear on him. I think the 40 minutes are going to continue to wear on him. And I think Trey and Simmons does about. nothing. Yeah. And Simmons adds nothing. Well, no, he adds stuff. Like his offensively, defense is real. offensively. Well, his ben offense Simmons is, is transition. So, like when they're forcing turnovers, and the Hawks had what? Well, like how many turnovers did we have in Game Two? He took like, three 17? shots. Seventeen. It was bad. Yeah, but that seventeen was, to seven. Yeah, and if you look at the transition stuff, Simmons is incredibly involved in all that. Like he's passing, he's finding lanes, yeah, he's yeah. moving it. He found Seth Curry. That's his bus. game. Yeah, like we can't do that. Like that is the turnovers have to go away. Um, 
but yeah, no, I'm still, I'm not nervous yet. I think Trey's going to have a big night tonight. And I think they go, they split tonight, go into Philly, win that game, and then come back to Atlanta and smell blood and uh, win there. Wouldn't that be something? I'm so down. I'm up for that. All right. Well, Max has got to run, so we got to wrap up here, guys, for Max Markovich and Garrett Chapman. And for myself, thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Atlanta Sports Guys. We'll be back next Friday when the Hawks, hopefully, are in the driver's seat of moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals where a bloodbath awaits them. Guys, thank you, as always. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.